on the short people platform. Oh, great. Hasn't it been wonderful? Are you having a good time? I'm having a good time. Did you sleep well? <laughs> oh, it's just so amazing. I've had so many life-giving moments in worship and in the word and in conversations and caravans and the cafe and there's just so much life here and so much that God wants to do and God is doing. It's really, really amazing. It's encouraging. It's really good to hear from Richard and from Judith and just really starting us off and being courageous. And one of the things I really loved about what Judith said yesterday was just, you know, really practical words to say. Sometimes we have, you know, head knowledge, but actually saying something from your mouth and like, like Judith said, hearing what it sounds like coming out from your mouth is really, really helpful. And so there's just so much, so much that we can begin to just think and take home and put in practice. You know, God didn't create us in a vacuum. So it's not like one day God decided, I'm going to make mankind, and then he's like, oh no, now what's he going to do? There's nothing for him to do. And then he made the world. It was the other way around. So he didn't create us in a vacuum with nothing to do and no purpose of being. He created us with a purpose. And just like Richard encouraged us, our purpose is to tell the story of the gospel, to tell the story of Jesus Christ and what he's done wherever we are, however we can, in everything that we do. We weren't created in a vacuum, but we were given an area to have dominion, to rule and to reign, to name animals, to cultivate fields, to have children, to raise families and to change and transform society. This is what God's called us to do. And he said it was good. It's a good thing that we've got stuff to do. Otherwise, we'd be really bored. But, you know, everything was affected by the fall. We see man sinned and the curse came and it all became a lot more hard work. But through Jesus, everything is redeemed. Jesus is reconciling all of creation. And so all those things, our dominion, our authority, our relationships with God and with man, our work that we're called to do, which were affected by the fall, but have been redeemed through Jesus Christ. They're good. They're really good things. And Jesus sends us out to extend the kingdom of God wherever we find ourselves. He sends us out to extend the kingdom of God on our front lines. And our front lines are wherever we find ourselves facing society day to day. So that could be the workplace. It could be at home with the family, with the kids. Um, it could be in team. It could be by yourself. Some people work alone. It could be in front of a computer screen all day long. Um, you could work in a virtual office. You could be self-employed. You know, virtual offices where you work from home lots and you like email people and then you only ever see them once in a blue moon. Um, you could work by vlogging. There's so many different, our conventional workplace has evolved over time. It's changed. There's so many different places and ways people go to work. You could be painting, you could be in a studio, whatever it is, but wherever it is, we are called to tell the story of King Jesus, where we are, in what we say, in what we do, in how we behave. We've been given authority to do this. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes... I feel like two different people. I know. Pray for me later. But I do, I do. So there's the mild-mannered reporter, and there's Superman. <laughs> there is Bruce Wayne, and there's Batman. <laughs> Thanks, Danielle. 
But I do. On a Sunday, um, I'm, you know, I'm meeting with, with my brothers and sisters in the Lord, and I feel really encouraged. I feel powerful. I know that I'm called. I know I'm called to mission. I'm like, yeah, this is awesome. And if I'm in a conversation with someone on a Sunday or in, in, in a connect group or wherever it is, I feel like this really powerful person, and I know that my words carry weight. I know that I can speak life into a situation in a simple conversation, not even being, you know, speaking Christianese. I know that I can speak life because that's who I am. However, when I go to work, it's somehow, or wherever I'm on my front line, this person that I was somehow shrinks or morphs into this, this anti-me, kind of, and I'm, oh, my, my words no longer have power in normal conversations because I'm a different person, and I'm kind of in this shell, and, and it doesn't quite correlate, and so I feel, like, I feel really torn, and I'm like, but I know this stuff, but here it's easy, and here somehow I can't seem to do it, but, you know, but I'm one person. I'm one person. I'm sure Clark Kent could still do all the amazing things he did, even if he didn't put the thing on. And it probably helps for aerodynamics when he's flying, but <laughs> it's just practical. Um, but he's still Superman, even when he's got his glasses on. He's still the same person. I'm not so sure about Bruce Wayne. He doesn't really have any powers. He's just rich. But <laughs> it's a bit different. Um, <laughs> sorry, all the Batman fans. I apologize. I'm not, not really. Superman all the way. Or if anyone watches Supergirl, Kara, yeah, Supergirl fan. Okay. <laughs> there is Supergirl. Song. But I do sometimes. I feel like two different people. It's like I'm, I'm Lucundo, whoever, whatever I do by day, and a, a secret Christian by night. And we do get like this sometimes. And I think one of the reasons um, why, for me personally, um, I feel this, 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 um, this tension and this difference is because I begin to believe lies about God and then essentially about myself. And so I couldn't always articulate that, but I started to think, well, why is there such a tension? Why do I feel this? Now, obviously, I have to contextualize. I can't go to work and freak everybody out, but I'm still the same person, and so I don't have to compromise who I am to try and be relevant. That, that's not right. Jesus never did that. Jesus associated with everyone. Paul became all things to all men, but he never compromised on who he was. And so I started to think, well, what is it, God? What, why, why am I having this? And I realized that I began to believe the lie that Jesus was Lord over my life, and he was Lord in my car on the way to work when I'm playing, you wear the victor's crown, you overcome. Woohoo! Jesus is Lord in the car. Jesus can do anything in the car. He can do anything at home. He can do anything on a Sunday. But Jesus, when we walk into Tesco, you're no longer Lord. Jesus, this dominion, there's like an invisible barrier. You don't have power in my workplace, God. There's no power in my voice here because the invisible voice forces have like zapped you out. There's just, that's it. And I began to believe that lie. I couldn't articulate it, but that's what I began to believe. But this is the truth. I'm going to read from Ephesians 1. And from this, I'm going to read in the message. So feel free to follow in whatever translation you have, or you can look at the screen. But this is the truth. Ephesians 1 and from verse 18. That's why when I heard of the solid trust you have in the master Jesus and your outpouring of love to all the followers of Jesus, I couldn't stop thanking God for you. Every time I prayed, I'd think of you and give thanks. But I do more than that. I ask, I ask that God, our master Jesus Christ, the God of glory, to make you intelligent and discerning in knowing him personally, your eyes focused and clear so that you can see exactly what he is calling you to do. 
grasp the immensity of this glorious way of life he has for his followers. Oh, the utter extravagance of his work in us who trust him. Endless energy, boundless strength. All this energy issues from Christ. God raised him from the dead and set him on a throne in deep heaven in charge of running the universe. Everything from galaxies to governments, no name and no power exempt from his rule. And not just for the time being, but forever. He is in charge of it all. He has the final word on everything. At the center of all this, Christ rules the church. The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts, by which he fills everything with his presence. In other words, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry mine. There is not a square inch or territory where Jesus Christ is not Lord. There is nowhere in the universe where Jesus is not allowed. There is nowhere where it's like, no, you can't come in here. He has all authority and all power. And so I think one of the reasons we, we begin to, to lack confidence sometimes is because we think that you have authority here, Jesus, but you don't have authority over there. When the truth is, there is absolutely nowhere. He does not have all power, all authority, all rule, and all reign, and all the love, because he upholds everything by the power of his word. So there is nowhere where he can't go. And so when we believe the truth about who he is, then we begin to believe the truth about who we are. So the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in me. And he does not go to sleep when we're feeding the baby or when we're painting a picture or when we step into the office or when we make the phone call. He doesn't just wake up when we're amongst other Christians and go to sleep when we're not. He's still there living, working, speaking inside of us, the same authority. I have the same tongue on a Sunday that I do when I go to work on a Monday. Same tongue, same powerful tongue that can speak life and authority. Another reason I think we, we begin to lack um, courage is because, especially in the workplace, forgive me if I mention workplace a lot, but try to think of wherever it is you find yourself engaging with society is because we lack understanding, particularly of the law of the land. So usually what tends to happen is, is like we've heard already, lots of um, atheist groups of people or organizations would have us believe that Christianity and faith should be a private matter. Don't tell anyone, just keep yourself to yourself, and that's fine. And we hear news about people being attacked for things, but it's really rare, it's usually blown out of proportion, and they don't usually tell all the facts. So there's like one or two stories dotted over here to try and put fear in us, but it's not the norm, especially in this side of the world, like Richard was telling us. That's not the norm. It's usually really rare. The truth is, we actually live in a society where the law is designed to safeguard those kind of rights and to protect Christians and others from religious discrimination. That's the truth. There is strong domestic law behind that, and there is a recognition that there is value in people in their workplaces and wherever they find themselves who have a faith in a God, in a benevolent God. There is value in that, and that is recognized. So we're going to look at some law now. I'm going to switch lawyer hat. Um, but the, I'm going to get this right, European Convention of Human Rights, hey, 
which was incorporated into British law by the Human Rights Treaty in 1998. Yay! <laughs> it says this, Article number 9 specifically in 10, we have freedom of thought, conscience, and religion. This means everyone is free to think, to have a conscience, to have religion. They're free to change that religion in public or in private, alone, in communities, with others, by themselves, and they're able to freely manifest that religion. This is the law. They're able to teach it. They're able to practice it. This is the law of our land. And it also says that obviously these things carry responsibility. And so sometimes there may be guidelines, but it's usually just for public safety or national protection, whatever it is. But nothing normal. It's like if someone wants to blow something up. But that's, that's where the restrictions come in. And then we have freedom of expression, which is article number 10, which is everyone has the right to hold an opinion and to share an opinion. They have the right to share it without interference. And you have also got a duty and responsibility to do that carefully and wisely. But this all applies to the workplace. So you have the freedom to think, to feel, to have religion. You also have the freedom to express that religion in the workplace. It applies there. And now, obviously, um, if people have the freedom to express their religion and to change their religion, people have the freedom to try and convince people to change their religion. That's an actual freedom we have in this country. And again, so sometimes we, because we don't fully understand how many of you have felt in a certain place, I might upset someone or I might offend somebody if I tell them about Jesus or my employers might think this and that of me. It might only be me, but I do because I don't fully understand because no one's ever really clearly said to me, this is what it is. I just hear stories. And what stories tend to do, especially when the myths get mixed in and they just begin to spread fear because then I begin to believe lies and it's not true and I have no source for it. One judge said, freedom to only speak inoffensively is not worth having. So in other words, there's no right to not be offended. Because if you had the right to not be offended, no one would be able to say anything to you. Because you say, you've impinged on my right to be offended, because it's super subjective. So the freedom to speak only things that won't offend people makes absolutely no sense. It's no freedom at all. Now, obviously, obviously, we don't want to go and just start offending people for no reason. What I'm trying to say is, the fear of offending people by bringing the gospel, it's a lie. It's based on a lie because we have no reason to fear that. It's not a crime to say something offensive to someone. I'm sure you've had people say stuff that's offensive to you. It might hurt, it might not be very nice, but they're not gonna go to jail for it. You could try, call the police. And I tried a few times with my brother when I was growing up. It didn't happen, it's fine, because it still does. <laughs> Sometimes I wish that, no, no, no. <laughs> but not to say we won't face any sort of resistance or anything of, of, of that thing, but we don't need to be afraid of offending people because there's no rule against it. And in some respects, the gospel is offensive because it's countercultural to what's around us. But that's not what should hold us back from sharing it because it's powerful and when we believe the truth. So we don't want to believe the lie that the gospel is offensive so we don't share it. No. The gospel may come as an offense, but the gospel is powerful. The gospel is life. The word of Jesus is living and active, and it can bring life to people. And so if it does cause some offense, I'll step away. I'll be wise about it, but it shouldn't hold me back from ever, ever mentioning anything to anyone. If you were, it's the same way you mention opinions. 
oh, no, that's touchy, I won't go there. I was, oh, okay, okay. I was about to, oh, no, no, I won't. <laughs> I was gonna talk about, okay. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, <laughs> don't, I, don't be offended, I'm giving like a thing at the beginning. When it comes to talking about food, so if, <laughs> if you're a vegan and someone is not a vegan, You'd never have a conversation, would you, about expressing your beliefs around food because you'd be afraid of offending the person. But you don't, do you? You just tell people, I eat meat. <laughs> I eat meat, it's fine. And the other person says, I don't eat meat. And it's fine, and, and it's okay to do that. But it's funny how, with a simple conversation like that, you think, oh, you, just, you don't really think about the offense, but when it comes to the gospel, we think, oh, I'm going to offend somebody. But let's not let that holds us back because we don't turn off our Christianity when we go to work, do we? The same way we talk about our passions and our hobbies. I like to play sports. I like to watch TV. I love this show on Netflix. I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. It's who I am. I don't turn it off when I'm in a certain situation. And so we have no need to be afraid because it is who we are. We wouldn't say to anybody else, I want this part of you, but not that part of you. It's who we are. So we need not fear to turn it off for fear of offending people. A really great example we have in the Bible is Daniel and his friends. So Daniel and his friends, unlike the society we live in today, did not have the same kind of freedoms. They lived in a dictatorship and they were in exile. They weren't even in their own land. So they were removed from their own land and they were in this dictatorship. They had to change their names, wear the clothes, but they chose that they would not allow who they were to become different. And so who they were and their identity as Jews, so we're not going to defile ourselves with the king's food. We're going to remain true to who we are. Even though we've learned the language, we look like them, we, we socialize, we're contextualized, but we are who we are. We don't budge on that, even though we're in a different land. And we saw them go through so much. We see them thrown in, in the lion's den and thrown into fire, but they stayed true to who they were because they knew who their God was, and therefore they knew who they were. So wherever they found themselves, they were courageous in who they were. And that's where we, where we want to be. We want to be courageous first and foremost in who we are, in who the God who we love and adore and serve is. So we can show up and be who we are, wherever we are, and then do what he calls us to do. Daniel 11.32 says this, But the people that do know their God will be strong and do exploits. The people who know who their God is. They said, if he's going to save us, he'll save us. Even if he doesn't, we're never turning away from our God because he's who we belong to, and that is who we are. And that gave them courage to do anything. So I'd like us to get into groups of six specifically. Yes. <laughs> it might be easier if, if you just turn and face the person behind you, and then there's, a, there's an immediate group of six because there's three, and then there's three. And if there's not, you can figure it out. But I've got a couple of questions that I'd like us to discuss together. So first, if you could get into groups of six, somehow, just feel free to move your chairs or whatever it is. Groups of six. Okay. And now, we all in groups of six. Awesome.
Hands up who's in a group of six. Over there, that far corner, groups of six. You're five. I'll let you off. <laughs> Brilliant. Now, there's a, a, a bunch of Christian lawyers who came up with a really, really good resource, and it provides guidance on what you can, cannot say, what to do in the workplace or in public spaces. So I'm going to ask the stewards to hand this out to us, and it's a really helpful thing. You can keep it. You can take it home, read it, study it. It's a really good resource. And while they hand out, I've got a couple of questions just for us to discuss um, within our groups. So firstly... What lies have you believed about yourself or God in your front line of situation? We spend a bit of time thinking, are there any lies that I have slipped into believing things that are not true about God and about who I am that have affected how I am and how I behave? Then has not knowing your freedoms or truth held you back in any way? And then how can knowing the truth help you be courageous in your front line? I'll give you about 10, 15 minutes, feel free, and then be up there. Yeah, the disgusting groups. Okay, shall I, we bring our conversations to a close? Good conversation. <laughs> you'll, you will get opportunity again to talk, but let's come back. <laughs> you like, you haven't got the, it's okay. You can, you can talk about them later. Oh, don't move all the way back because you'll have to go back again in a minute, but that's fine. Cool. <laughs> so hopefully that was, if anything, just helping us think a bit more about those things and whether or not, you know, we've, we've, we've really thought about them or just taken them for what we think they are, but... There's some really, really good discussions, and I know there are lots of different workplaces where things are done differently, so like the NHS is one that can seem quite tricky. Um, a really good piece of advice is wherever you work, read your company policy. Read it. Now, your company policy cannot conflict the law of the land, but it's really good to read it and find out what it actually says, and, and so that we can have the confidence and full knowledge in what we do. Now, if your company or wherever you work or wherever you find yourself does have restrictions in certain ways, and, and it will usually be to try and keep some sort of peace. I know Joshua was saying his, in his office they will pull you if you say anything that's even slightly destructive because they're trying to keep the peace. Um, now, that's really good to know so that in our witness we can be effective. So we're not causing trouble, but we're being wise. And we can say, okay, Holy Spirit, now that I know the truth of the situation, how do I make you famous in the situation? Which is a lot different to, there's no way I can make you different. There's no way I can make you famous in that situation because I just don't know. But it's, what's the situation? What does the handbook say? Or what does the school policy say? Or whatever it is. And Holy Spirit, what can I now do? And honestly, simply being who we are is a lot. Simply showing up as who we are is huge. When we give opinions, as the law says, in fear and conversation, you are more protected when you give an opinion based on your, your Christian values than a simple opinion. Well, not a simple opinion, your own opinion. So if you, if you said in discussion, oh, the Christian belief says A, B, C, D, you're a lot more protected than if you just said 
oh, this, 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 this. Do you understand what I'm saying? So that's actually what the law says. So if you give an opinion based on your faith, it's a lot harder for them to come down on you than if it's just your own opinion. So bring Jesus into the conversation. Bring the Bible into the conversation because it becomes almost objective. This is what this book says. And it's, it, takes, it kind of takes it away from, but you believe in this book. And, so that, and the word of God is super powerful. Simply saying the name of Jesus in a conversation is powerful because we believe he is a name above all names. And so saying his name breaks chains, changes the atmosphere. Just get Jesus in as many times as you can. Don't be weird. Don't be weird. <laughs> but be encouraged. Is that helpful? Okay. Okay. And so having the right beliefs about God and who we are, having the correct knowledge helps us in what we do. Because what we believe affects our actions, whether we realize it or not. Our belief system will affect how we behave and what we do. And so when we know the right things, like like God said to Joshua, be strong and courageous and do not let this word depart from you. Do not let the truth of who I am depart from you and what I've called you to be. And you will be strong and courageous. And so we're asking ourselves the question, so okay, how, how, what can I do on my front lines? How can I extend the kingdom? How can I tell the story of God where I am? I've got a few examples that I found really encouraging that I just wanted um, to share. There was an assistant head in an inner city school, so it wasn't a very affluent area, and most of the kids were like on free school dinners, and they didn't really know what it was to have a sit-down meal at home in a nice environment. And so she was asking God, what can I do? She noticed something about the culture in her workplace, and she thought, what can I do to bring change? How can I bring the kingdom and what the kingdom looks like here? So she thought... Let's get some tablecloths. And so she went to the school and they said, okay, we'll buy tablecloths. So they put tablecloths on all the tables in the dining hall. And suddenly what that did was it, it toned it down. So when you put your cutlery on the table, the clinking was a lot softer. And so there was a hush and there was a, oh, it's mealtime. This is important. We can talk. And the kids felt valued and the relationships with the teachers changed because suddenly the atmosphere was different. All by putting tablecloths on the table. She asked God, how can I make a difference? There was another lady who, her work team had really good relationships. There wasn't anything really wrong with it, but she thought, there's more. We can get better at this. And so she asked God, how can I increase the sense of team where I work? She decided on one of the lunch breaks, she would, instead of everyone going off their own ways, she was going to bake some cake herself, bring it in, and everyone would come into her office and have cake together. And so they did, they all came in, and everyone was really touched by the fact that she baked it herself, and they felt so loved, and then the next week, someone else did it, and then the next week, someone else did it, and it became a thing in the workplace that every week, a different person would bake cake, and they would sit down in their office and have cake together, and they'd share share recipes, oh, where did you get that from? I got it from here. Oh, my great-grandmother gave it to me, she migrated from this country. Oh, my gosh, my great-grandmother came from that country too. Oh, my gosh, we have one more in common, wow. And And conversation started just like that, and they grew a lot closer. And it's in, like Judith said, in those conversations and in the getting to know people where we gain trust and we're able to share who we are, and there is a lot less room for offense. There is a lot less room for things to to go sour because... People are simply sharing life together. They know who you are. They know you genuinely care about them and what's going on with them. And you're not just trying to get an agenda across. That's not what Jesus did. And both these things took courage. It takes courage to bake cake 
for people because it could have been really bad. Could have had a soggy bottom. It could have been awful. But she did it anyway. And she took it in and it went well. Looking at an aspect of culture in our workplace or wherever we find ourselves and how can we change that. Maybe we can apologize in a culture where there's a lot of blame or no one ever takes responsibility. It was his fault. It was her fault. Why not apologize? A simple apology does uh, really amazing things in the atmosphere, in the culture. Or saying thank you in a culture where no one ever says thank you. I remember when I used to work, I used to work for Tesco Pharmacy, and I would always say thank you. And the guys, you don't need to thank us. It's our job. So we'll thank you anyway. But then months after, they'd say, every time you tell me thank you, I feel really encouraged to do my work even better because you recognize what I'm doing. Simply saying thank you and I'm sorry does huge things in an atmosphere, in the culture. What about the things that are celebrated in our culture? The things that are celebrated in our neighborhoods, in our schools. What you celebrate says a lot about the culture. The heroes you make says a lot about the culture. So let's say, for example, in an environment where it's very heavy on sales or profits or targets, why not choose to celebrate the friendliest person or the most improved person or the person who smiles a lot? Because all of a sudden, that changes the focus and, oh, actually, there are other things that we can celebrate. There are other things that are really important. There are other people in here who are really valued, even though they may not always hit their targets. <laughs> it's very true. <laughs> How about celebrating the model that's not a size zero and celebrating her just because of who she is and because she's confident and she's happy in the shape that she is, rather than celebrating, there's nothing wrong if you're size zero. <laughs> but that changes something in a culture how about celebrating someone who makes ethical decisions and someone who stands up for recycling in a culture where no one recycles? It's really different, and it changes the culture. There are always things that we can look at wherever we are, whether it's at the school gates or celebrating the, celebrating the mum who asks for help. Um, I was thinking about this a lot recently, and then I read an article. And I know I'm not a mum yet, but I know there... Well, I, well from what I see... There's, there's like this expectation to be everything all the time and do it all yourself when actually um, it takes a village, doesn't it? It takes a village. So how about rather than always celebrating super mum, celebrating the mum who asks for help or celebrating the mum who is, <laughs> I don't know, I know it's out of my thing, but, but yeah, but going against what's usually celebrated and, and looking at that, that changes the culture. It makes it okay to ask for help. It makes it okay to be vulnerable. And then we don't have to try and live up to this reputation or put ourselves on a pedestal. And we can do that anywhere. We can do that absolutely anywhere. What about celebrating the friendliest, smiliest person at the checkouts, even though it takes ages for them to put the shopping through because they're talking to every single person? But it's amazing when you can easily go and just go to the self-checkout and do it yourself. That person who spends time getting to know people. Why not be the person who spends time getting to know people in your supermarket? Speaking out for truth and justice. You don't have to be in charge to make a difference. You don't have to be the one in charge to change the culture. You don't have to be the one in charge to stand up for someone who can't stand up for themselves. Like Richard said, courage inspires courage. And it only takes one person to stand. I found this picture of this, this, this young boy. Um, I think it was um, some really bad stuff going on in China. And he stood in front of these tanks. And so they couldn't move. 
Now, nobody knew who this kid was. They think he was a teenager or something. Um, and there are all kinds of stories about what people think happened to him. But what did happen was that he inspired courage in others. Because he said, I don't know what else I can do, but I'm going to take a stand. And I'm going to make a difference. And that takes courage. But we can stand up for truth. We can stand up for truth when someone's gossiping about somebody. And rather than just saying, yeah, I, I see what you mean. Or the, or the smile and the, hmm, hmm, I didn't say anything, so technically I'm not part of this. <laughs> but we could be the one to say, oh, I didn't realize that about that person. Actually, I'm sure if, if you told them, they might actually um, disagree. Or maybe they don't notice they do that. Suddenly, it's like, whoa, you have disarmed bomb. Because there's nowhere to go from that. There's absolutely nowhere to go from that. Or pulling out the gold in someone who everyone is moaning about. Did we all have that colleague? We had a colleague. Oh, my gosh. This was just really lazy and bless her. And it was so easy when everyone was complaining about this person to say, yeah, I know. They're so lazy. But it was true, though. They were really lazy and they didn't do stuff. But they were also really intelligent. Remember once in a conversation, oh, aren't they so lazy, aren't they so this? They are really smart if they put their mind to it though. Remember that time when they came up with this idea and it made everything we do so more efficient? They were like, oh yeah, they did do that. And suddenly, just speaking the truth has diffused the situation. We've chosen not to participate in the gossip. Be the one to say something with wisdom and with courage. When Nathan, um, the prophet, went to tell David how he'd done wrong because he slept with Bathsheba and then killed her husband, um, he didn't go in there flaying, him, flaying his arms and going, failing his arms, and saying, oh my gosh, you should know better, this, 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 even though he probably had every right to, like, if we're honest. Um, but he went in and he told the king a story. So he goes to David and he says, so there's a story. There were two men. There was one man who was really rich and he had lots of sheep. And there was another man who had one little Jew lamb, really small, and it was like his, his child, and he ate from his plate and drank from his cup, and he raised this little Jew until it was really big, and this nice little lamb, and this is one little lamb he had. And then, this rich guy had a visitor in the middle of the night, and the guy came, but this rich guy was super selfish, and so instead of taking one of his own sheep, he went and took the little Jew, the little lamb, and killed that one, and gave it to his friends. And David was like, that is outrageous. How could somebody do that? This is nonsense. I am standing up for injustice. And Nathan's like, this was you. It's just what you. And he was like, oh my gosh, I've sinned against God. Oh my gosh, I repent. With wisdom, he told him a story and confronted him in love. And David recognized his own wrong and went before the Lord to repent. There are so many ways as we listen to the Holy Spirit that we can speak up for truth and it doesn't have to be rude, it doesn't have to be brash, but we can speak the truth in love. Sometimes we'll find ourselves in a situation and we're not responsible to change the whole world at once, that's no one's responsibility, um, but, and we may have to leave. And sometimes we don't recognize the change we've made until after we leave. So there was a lady who worked as a PA um, for this really angry man, and he was so mean, and she worked for him for about three years, and, and every night she'd go back and she'd pray for him, God change him, God change him, I know you can change him, there's no one outside redemption, change him. Um, but he didn't change, and so after three years she'd had enough, she was just crushed, and she's like, I've given it my best, I'm going to go. And so she left her job. A couple of weeks later, someone had taken up the position 
and they rang her. How on earth did you do it? I've only been here for a couple of weeks and I'm ready to go, I'm ready to pack it in. I asked everybody how you did it and every single person said you were so kind, you were so patient, you were so loving, you knew what to say, you just knew how to absorb what he was giving out. How did you do it? And there was an opportunity for her to share, but she hadn't realized what she'd done by simply being obedient to God, to loving her neighbor, to, to being kind, to listening to the Holy Spirit, to being patient and simply being who she was had such a huge impact in the office. But nobody once said to her while she was there, oh, you're doing a great job. You're so kind. You're so patient. And so many times we don't realize it. Even if we do have to leave a situation, how we leave also can be really significant. I had to leave a situation recently, and it wasn't very nice, and it wasn't very comfortable. And for the first time in my life, I guess I knew what it was to have enemies. You know when the Bible says, love your enemies, and you're like, yeah, cool, I don't have any enemies. Okay, I don't know. I don't know, the enemy is the person who maybe cut me off on the road or beat the horn at me. Um, but it wasn't a very good situation, and, and for a long time, and I, I thought, oh, this is, this is not good, God, and I had to leave. And when I was leaving, the Holy Spirit said to me, um, when you leave, you, you could just, you know, write a card that says, thank you so much for, you know, the generic, thanks, it's been great, bye-bye. Um, <laughs> but he said, no, I want you to write an individual card to every single person on your team. And I was like, some of the cards were really easy because some of the people on the team I got on with really well. But when it came to writing on the cards with the people I didn't get on with really well and who had caused me upset, that was difficult. Uh, that... Took some, it, it, and it took courage to love people who are not loving you back. It took courage to, because to, you're giving of something, aren't you? When you're encouraging someone, when you're calling out the gold, you're giving of something. So it took courage to, to give something. Okay, I'm going to do God, because you love me, and so I'm going to love them. And I wrote out the cards, and, and, and I had to ask God, what are you saying about that person? And there was a moment to be, an opportunity to be prophetic, an opportunity to speak life into people. Cards are really good. You should write cards. Um, and so I wrote the cards and took them to work, and boy, were there tears. There were tears, and there were, and because we all knew what the situation was, there was an opportunity to witness that even though we, it hasn't gone really well, and even though things haven't turned out all bright and rosy, I still love you. God still loves you. We don't have to split on a, you know, it may not always be that way, but there was an opportunity to still be a witness, to still share the love of God, even when something doesn't quite go well. Everyone said, I really needed to hear that. Thank you so much for saying that. It's the love of God that makes us strong to lay down our lives for others. We love because he first loved us. He's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of sound mind. And because he loves us, we can obey his commandment to love him with everything that we've got and to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. And it's his love, depending on his love, our fear doesn't stand a chance when we stand in his love. When we stand in his love, we can do absolutely anything. And we can ask God, like all these people did, what can I do? What is it that you're calling me to do? And so let's get back into our groups and discuss what's the need on your front line? What's the need? What's lacking? Or what's good about your culture that you can celebrate and maybe can get better? Or where's the gap? What's maybe not celebrated and what difference can you make? It may be in a workplace, it may be on your front line, it could be in an industry or it could even be in a field, like a whole field. If you work in the fashion industry, for instance, what's the gap in the fashion industry? What is it? And how, what can you do to serve? 
or how can you make a difference? And is there anything specific that you maybe feel God is asking you particularly to do? Okay, let's discuss. Okay. Shall we come back around? Awesome. You know, there's power in reminding ourselves of the truth, reminding ourselves of who God is and who he's called us to be and what he said. It doesn't always um, happen in a day, culture changing, but over time, that small, small seed grows, that tiny bit of yeast raises the whole batch as it takes time to knead its way through. So don't be, in, don't be discouraged but keep being you. There is no accident in where God has placed you, in the gifts God has given you. Even if you may not like some of them, you might think you talk too much. You should become a preacher. Um, (laughs) You might think, but it's not by mistake. God's made you uniquely and put you where you are to serve his purpose, to tell the story of Jesus like only you can. You're the only one who can tell your story and his story through you the way you can. So tell the story and live life, live fully, live fearlessly so you can tell those stories. Throw yourselves into those situations so you can have those testimonies and examples that only you can give because God's put you in that situation. I wanna tell you a a story um, about something God asked me to do. Now this was one of those, I guess you could say one-off occasions, um, the stuff you do every day, like Richard said, there's the stuff we do every day and there's, there's the other stuff. But I just wanted to share it, just to encourage us a little bit along the journey of, of walking in obedience to what God's given us to do. Like one of the questions was, what is it that you feel, if there's anything that God's asking you to do, and, 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 and walking in obedience to do that, which takes courage. I did USMM about four years ago. Some of you may have heard this story. I apologize. Um, and whilst we were in USMM, we had a two-week placement, and Dave Emmett had asked us to think of something, ask God what you can do to bless the community around you. It could be absolutely anything you wanted to do, but just do something to be a blessing to others. And so I started to pray casually. It, it wasn't a lock myself in the room, Lord, what should I do? It was, it was really casual. Okay, God, what should, I, what should I do? And I really clearly heard... Um, prayer room at work for a week. Okay then, and I ignored it. And I heard it again, prayer room at work for a week. It was as clear as day. And so I sat on it for a while. I didn't really tell anybody. But then eventually I thought, I have to tell my classmates at least. So I sat them down and I said, this this is what I feel God's calling me to do. And I half expected them to say, oh my gosh, that's really scary. Maybe, you know. It's like, I feel like God's telling me to do a prayer room at work for a week. Oh my gosh, you should so do that. I was like, okay, now I have to do it. Um, But they were like, yeah, that's amazing. We'll help you draft a letter to send to your manager. Oh my gosh, yeah, you should so do that. Okay then, okay, cool. A week went by, 
have you done it yet? They began to ask me, do you need some help? Have you done it? No, I haven't done it yet, but I really should do it. Okay. Another week went by. Have you done it, Lakundo? Have you drafted the letter? Shall we help you? Fine. And they sat me in front of a computer and we drafted this letter to the store manager that I just printed out and then kept in an envelope in my bag. It's like, I've done it now. I've drafted the letter. Have you handed it in yet? Have you given the letter? I said, you people, get off my case. Um, and so, I better do this now. So, um, and you know, they prayed for me, they encouraged me, which is one of the reasons why I, I asked us to, to talk to each other because being courageous is not about always doing things on your own. It's about doing things together and one another, encouraging one another. And, and you know, we've, we've got the really courageous lions and they move in packs, don't they? <laughs> They move in packs. They don't, we rarely see them alone. Um, but they encouraged me and they, they spurred me on. I honestly don't think anything would have happened if I hadn't have told them. So speak to one another. Be, be accountable to one another, but encourage one another and spur one another on. Um, so, you know, they prayed for me. They held me up and, and D-Day came. They were like, right, you're in, you're in work on Tuesday. You, sh- you should do okay. I was like, okay, there's no excuse. So I took the letter and I had it in my bag. And I was, you know, dispensing away in pharmacy like you do. And I, I just kept thinking about this letter. And I was, I was shaking, like my body was shaking because I thought, you're going to make a mistake, Lukunda. Stop thinking about the letter. Just focus on giving people the right medication. Don't, this is not good. God would not give you something to do or you harm someone. So this is not right. But it was just me being afraid, um, which is okay but so I was afraid and I was like oh my gosh so I thought okay don't think about it focus on the Lord just think about Jesus and think about him and let him empower me rather than thinking about myself so much because sometimes you can get too in your thoughts and you're thinking too much and then you think and talk yourself out something but anyway and so I was carrying away and then I I needed to nip to the loo so as I, I turned to nip to the loo I felt the Holy Spirit say to me take the letter Okay, then I'll take the letter. And sure enough, as I walked across the shop floor, the store manager was right there, smack bang in the middle. And so I had the letter in hand and I walked straight past him and I went to the toilet. I could not even begin to explain what was going on in here. And I went upstairs, I I smacked the letter down in front of the mirrors and said, I failed, oh my gosh, God, I was too scared, I can't do this, give me another chance. And God said, don't worry, he'll still be there when you go back down, just use the loo. So so I was like, okay. So I did. And I went back down, and sure enough, he was still there, just slightly towards, towards, like, in an aisle talking to someone. And I walked back down, and I just planted my feet and stood there like a child who was lost with his letter in my hand. And I thought, I'm just not going to move. I'm just going to st- I must have looked like an idiot. But just stood there, he was talking to someone. I'm just standing there like this. Because I thought, if I move my legs, I'm going to run. So I'm just going to stand. And I stood there, and he, and he acknowledged me as though he said, I've seen you, I'll talk to you in a minute. And as I stood there, I looked up, and there was some sort of like ad campaign or advert we were doing. It was, I think it was about loving food, but right above his head was the word love. And I looked, and I saw, and right then, the presence of God just flooded me. And he said, I love you, Lukundo. I love you. And his love gave me strength. His love gave me courage. Because in that moment, I knew I was fully loved and accepted by him. And it almost didn't matter 
But because I knew I was loved, I was like determined to do it. So knowing we are loved by him, first and foremost, gives us the courage and confidence to do what he's called us to do, to love him back and to love others. And so I just stood there planted. And then, and then he came, oh, what's how, how, look and do. So he knew I was doing USMM because I told them. And I said, oh, we've been given this thing and we need to do a project and, and do something for two weeks. So here's what I want to do. It's in this letter. And I just thought he'd take the letter and go read it. So I didn't have to explain it to him. So I thought, and then it's like, it's fine. Um, but then he said, oh, cool. So tell me about it. What do you want to do? I was like, well, I just thought... <laughs> Then we, I could set up the training room upstairs and people could come in and, and get prayed for and I could pray for them. And it was just, this was just for a week. And he went, ah, ah, okay, leave it with me. I'll get back to you. And he walked off. At this point, I was feeling so relieved. I was like, I've done it. I have walked in obedience. This is it. All you asked me to do is obey God. He's probably going to say no. He's probably going to shred the letter. That's it. I'm so grateful. I can tell everyone on USMM I did it. I asked him. I've been courageous. That's it. I'm done. And I honestly did think it might have taken like a couple of weeks, but they were going to say, and like in the next half an hour, this, the personal manager came in. She popped it. She said, look under that thing you want to do. Great, have the room for the week. And then I was like, oh no. It gets worse. We we'll have to do it now. Oh, I don't know. So I went back. And I, told, I think I was now more afraid than I ever was to begin with. Anyway, I told, I told everyone at USMM and they were elated and they were like, yes, this is awesome. And they were praying, they were coming up with ideas and yeah. Um, and so I started to get ready and um, got all the set up, got some really cool things to decorate and, um, and it came to day one and I walked in to work. So I, I, took, a, I took a week off from work to do it. So, well, I was only working two days a week, so it wasn't really that much. But I went in, and I, I remember put in the room, setting up, and it took ages, and I thought, I'm going to have to put it up and take it down every day. And the personal manager was like, oh, no, just leave it up. We'll just use the room as it is. I was like, miracle number one. Um, and I, I had to put up posters all over the store to actually tell people that this was happening. And that was so scary, because I've never, ever felt so vulnerable in my life. It was almost as though, like... I'd been stripped bare and everything was exposed. And it was like, if you didn't know I was a Christian, now you know I'm a Christian. And now you know I'm doing this crazy thing. And I, and, and, and I put a sign up at the clocking card so everybody saw it when they came in and they came out. And I was thinking to God, God, there must be another Christian where I work. There's got to be at least one. I was heartbroken when I didn't even find any. And I thought, oh, wow. And sometimes you don't realize, and think, someone else will do it. Someone else will share this story. Someone else. But actually, we may be the only one where we are. But anyway, went on with it, put everything up. And then, and then I just uh, stayed in the room, and I sat there. And I was like, ah, well, now people can come to me because I've done all the work. So I'm, you know. And Jesus was like, no, you go out and you bring people to the banqueting table. That's what I've called you to do. Do not sit at the banqueting table and just wait for them to come. And so I went out, and quite a few people were really happy and like, oh, yeah, this is cool. They came in and, and prayed with them, and they're like, oh, my gosh. Some people got healed. Some people were like, oh, I felt something lift off my shoulders. And it's really cool. This one woman who, when I first started working there, I, I mentioned church to her, and she went, oh, no, 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 no. I don't, none of that. I don't do that. that no, that's not for me. I, don't. I was like, okay, it's fine. It's okay. 
bless her. She's so sweet. After getting to know her for like a couple of years, she came into the prayer room and she let me pray for her. And she was in there for ages and she was pouring out. She's like, oh, I feel so light. Oh, this is wonderful. Oh, thank you. Thank you for praying for me. And it was just amazing to see the journey she'd been on from and not pushing it when I first met her to be like, no, like Judith said, don't like get too excited and like annoy people with it. But actually just going on a journey with her and she trusted me enough that actually Lakunda's quite cool. She likes me. She's good to me. So she must be on to something. <laughs> if Lakunda's that nice, maybe what she believes is actually true. Um, but yeah, it was really cool and got to do lots of things. I got to pray with our store manager who then shared that he used to go to church when he was a kid, but he'd fallen away and then he just stood there. I was like, okay. And then he just, <laughs> and he just stood there for a while. And he was like, so thank you. Thank you for helping me reconnect. And he went and that was it. And so many other things happened, but but in, 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 in the whole process and every step of the way, there was, it was so scary. It was so, so scary. Walking in obedience can be scary. But all throughout, Jesus reaffirmed that, that he was with me. When I was rejected, when I asked someone to come, I said, can I pray? No. And I ran back in, coward, scared. And I thought, oh, no, that's the end now. I'm done. I'm not asking anybody else because I can't take it. I can't take another rejection. And Jesus was like, that's exactly how I felt on the cross. I was rejected, I was vulnerable, I was laid bare, and I did it for you because I love you. So I know exactly how you feel, Lukundo. And we just sat there for a moment. And we just sat, and we sat. And I felt his love, and then got up. And the next person I prayed for got healed. And so he is so good, and he is with us. When he calls us to do something, we can walk in obedience and we can encourage one another. We can share what he's, because if, we, if I hadn't shared, I honestly wouldn't have done it. And that's what we're here to do, to encourage one another. One thing I don't know is what happened after that, because like I said, it was a thing. It happened. We all moved on. We carried on. Who knows? What I do know is that I carry the same presence and power that was in that room with me every single day. I carry his presence because I'm his temple every single day. So I can step out in boldness. I can step out and pray. I can do the same things, even if it's not in a room that's really pretty with fairy lights and soaking music. But I could do that every single day because he is with me and his power is with me. Romans chapter 8 from verse 15 says this. The resurrection life you receive from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. It's adventurously expectant. Greeting God with the child like, what's next, Papa? God's spirit touches our spirits and confirms who we really are. We know who he is and we know who we are, father and children. And we know we're going to get what's coming to us, an unbelievable inheritance. We go through exactly what Christ goes through. And if we go through the hard times with him, then we're certainly going to go through the good times with him adventurously expectant every day like Judas said waking up and asking what are we going to do today Holy Spirit what opportunity is going to come my way that's going to scare me to death but I'm going to do it anyway because I love you and I'm excited to see what's going to happen when we do it together that is exciting it's even more exciting than roller coasters when you go on a roller coaster and you have this adrenaline rush I'd like a constant adrenaline rush for a week if you need an adrenaline rush just be obedient to God and what he wants you to do I'm telling you it's real it's so real but that's the life we were called to live, not a life that's just waiting for the life to come, that actually right now we can ask him. And nothing is impossible. 
Nothing is impossible. There are so many people um, who, who start prayer groups. I'm sure there are people here at work, Bible studies at lunchtime. And a lot of times employers are a lot more open than we think. I assumed he would, they would say no. I just ruled it out because they're going to say no. But why not ask? Why not try? Why not step out and do something? So we're going to stand together. And again in our groups, we're just going to close by praying for one another. Now, if there was something specific that somebody shared that this is what I'd love to do or how I'd love to be, I'd love to be more confident in just smiling at people or I'd love to, to, to help change the culture by not gossiping or there was something specific, let's just spend some time praying for one another for more courage in general for specific situations and just encouraging one another and speaking life, saying you can do it. You can live this adventurous life that God's called you to do. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. You are so big on the inside. There is nothing that can stand against you.